morning, everyone. You can take a seat. So uh, my name is Zach. I am a, a Cedarville graduate. I graduated there in 2020. And my wife Taylor and I actually live in Pennsylvania now. Uh, but the two months before that, New Community was our church home. We were part of the Leadbetter Roadhouse Church. So it, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so it's great to be back here this morning with you all. And uh, just like the fellas from the last three weeks, I also took the, the preaching class on offer here. And I'm really thankful for that because uh, even though I've been in church for a number of years, I uh, went to a Cedarville College, right, Cedarville University, I should be pretty comfortable sharing the gospel. But to my embarrassment, this is something that I still have a lot of room to grow in. And so I'm thankful for the course. And, and honestly, that's a journey I hope to never stop uh, learning, right? I want to continue to grow and, and my boldness and my joy and my comfortability sharing the gospel. So I'm thankful to be here this morning. But I have to say, it is really bizarre being up here. Because if, if you were to tell uh, a high school me that I would be not only talking at a church one day, but that I'd be talking at a church in uh, this little town surrounded by corn and this, this place called Ohio, I, I definitely would have laughed. And then I think I probably would have asked you where Ohio was. Um, so you, you probably heard the accent, New Zealand, that's home for me, um, home of Lord of the Rings, of rugby, many other beautiful things. I'm very proud to call that my home. And, and I, I was saved in high school, but I, I hate to say it, if, I hadn't, if the Lord hadn't led me to Cedarville, I, I'm really not sure that I would be walking with the Lord today. Um, and, and the Lord very much did lead me to Cedarville. He used a, a dream that I had to come over to the States and to play college soccer he used that dream to allow me to stumble across, uh, across, uh, across Cedarville. And as I'm sure you're all, all pretty familiar, Cedarville is not really a place you stumble across. Certainly not from halfway across the world online. And so I, I had no connection to America, let alone Cedarville. So it very much was the Lord's hand that led me there. And of course, I met my beautiful wife there. So I'm very thankful for the Lord. I'm thankful for the course and the opportunity to uh, continue to grow my ability to share the gospel. Thankful for the, the opportunity to be with all of you this morning to enjoy the Lord's Word. I'm thankful for the Lord's providence in my life and the Lord's providence in, in all of your lives as well. So all, all that said, we're going to be reading through the final few verses in Luke chapter, chapter 6, uh, which is going to round out the, the sermon that we've been reading the last four weeks. So this is called the Sermon on the Plain Right. But before we dive into that, if, if, if you're anything like me, your, your memory quickly escapes you. So I just want to do a, a quick run through of, of firstly where this sermon sits in the book of Luke, and, and then a very brief recap of what we've been going over the last, the last three weeks. And so the, the, the passage we're going to be reading today is a tree and its fruit, and as well as a house built on the rock. So you'll probably be familiar with those. But as far as a bit of a run through through the book of Luke, the, the book of Luke starts with these two prophetic births, right? We're told of Jesus and John the Baptist. We're told that they're going to be pretty significant individuals. And then the book jumps forward to some stories of Jesus as a boy. And then forward again to John the Baptist, this voice crying out in the wilderness. And by the time Jesus enters the scene, he's 30 years old, he begins his public ministry. And he now becomes the focal point of Luke's gospel. And so we see Jesus, he's, he's healing some people, he's doing some teaching, but by the time we get here to the sermon in chapter 6, Jesus has already amassed uh, a crowd of followers. And as we read a few months ago, at the very start of chapter 6, he actually names the 12 disciples. So, so that's a bit of, a bit of the context 
uh, the launching pad, if you will, for the Sermon on the Plain that we've been reading as Jesus addresses a multitude of others, but also his 12 new disciples. And as far as the sermon three weeks ago, Jake walked us through the first portion, the Beatitudes and Woes, looking at the, the joy and the blessing of being in God's kingdom. And then two weeks ago, David talked us through loving our enemies, what Jesus had to say about that, looking at the Father's great love for us. And then just last week, Ken looked at what Jesus said about uh, judging others. Now, you may have noticed it, you may have not noticed it. There's, been, there's actually been this subtle flow to the sermon that we've been reading that has started really broad and it's become gradually more and more narrow until just last week we, we read that there's actually this call for self-assessment, right? The, the words that, that Ken would have read are, do you not see the log that is in your own eye? Do you not see the log that is in your own eye? And so that's actually going to be something that we'll be building off here this morning as we read Jesus' final words. So uh, we'll start doing that now, starting in verse 45. 43, sorry. So, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, there are two themes that are in our text this morning that we're going to be focusing on, hypocrisy and motivation. And it's actually important to realize that these ideas, they're not new ideas, but they've been prevalent all throughout the Sermon on the Plain that we've been reading over the last four weeks. And so when we realize that these are themes that have been in the Sermon, as well as we understand that these are actually the last words of Jesus' sermon before he wraps up his teaching and, and heads on to the next town, it's possible to view our text this morning as a bit of a capstone to the Sermon on the Plain. And so with that in mind, we're going to be going on a three-part journey this morning. We're going to start by looking at hypocrisy. Where do we see it in our text? Where else does it appear in, in Luke 6? Why does Jesus address it? And how do we identify it? And then we're going to move on to motivation, right? The, the root or cause of our hypocrisy. And then we're going to round out by looking at Jesus. I want to pose Jesus as the solution. So let's, let's pray. Lord, just, we just ask that you would help quiet our hearts right now. There are many times throughout the week that we can just slow down. We just, this is a moment right now, Lord. Let us slow down. We are in your house right now. I pray for my heart as I bring these words, Lord, that uh, my focus would be on you and not on myself, Lord. And we just pray that this morning what is said uh, would be uh, honoring to you, Lord. If there's anything that's said that's not, Lord, just pray that you would wash that away. We want our time here as we worship and read your word together, Lord, to be glorifying to you. And so as we read what you have to say this morning, 
allow our hearts to, to see and identify the hypocrisy and the motivation that perhaps we possess. And I pray that we would leave this morning just with more of a love for you, Lord, and uh, a bigger picture of who you are. So we ask this in your name. Amen. How many of you have seen a, a Snickers ad before, the, the candy bar? The, the ads all pretty much have the, the same flow. They usually start with someone who is pretty upset, pretty mad, and they're out to get the person they, they kind of view to be the source of their frustration, or perhaps they're playing sport and they're just performing terribly, right? And so, so this, is, this is going on, and then their friend enters the scene and says that famous line, hey, eat a Snickers. And immediately, just like that, if they were, if they were mad, they become calm. If they were playing terribly, they, they now start to perform well. You see, they thought they needed one thing, when in reality, they were just hungry. So they thought they needed one thing, and someone else came in and diagnosed what they actually needed. And, and in a similar way, this is actually how this whole teaching moment in Luke 6 begins. We read that a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Zidon, they came to hear Jesus, right, to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him. You see, these people, they came to be healed, to experience the tangible power that Jesus possessed. And while we read that he does heal a few of them, ultimately he sits everyone down and begins to discuss these matters of the heart. So they thought they needed one thing. Is it possible that Jesus saw something that they didn't? Is it possible that Jesus saw that their inner condition was in far more need of help and healing than their outer condition? And I bring this up because that's actually one of the big questions in our text this morning. How is our inner condition? We read that no bad tree can produce good fruit, that a house is only as stable as its foundation. You see, these parables, they address not just what is seen above the surface, but they get at what is beneath the surface, right? The, the roots of the tree, the foundation of the heart, of the house, or the, the abundance of the heart. Last week, we read about Jesus straight up calling people hypocrites. They're looking out at the specks in other people's eyes, and Jesus says, whoa, let's check the telephone pole right in your own eye. And similarly, today we read, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, this was spoken to the new disciples, but it's also written for us here in the Bible to read, right? So let's engage that question for, for ourselves this morning. Are we people that say one thing, yet do another? Is it possible that we possess some of this deceitful nature? Not too long ago, my wife Taylor, she was going to the grocery store and she asked me if there was anything that I wanted. And she must have caught me on a really good day because I actually asked for fruit. I said, plums would be awesome, right? And so she goes out and she comes back with this, this carton of big, red, beautiful looking plums. And it's the start of summer, it's warm outside, I'm pretty excited, right? So I grab one of these plums, sit down on the porch, rub it against the shirt and take a bite. And it's like disgusting. Like it looked awesome on the outside and on the inside, it's brown, it's dry. Like other parts are juicy, but not the good kind of juicy, like the bleh kind of juicy. Like it's not, it's not good, right? And in that moment, my world was, was crushed. But while that, the plum made for terrible eating, it makes for a terrific illustration this morning. <laughs> because you see that the plum had deceived me. Because fruit can look healthy. Houses can appear stable but not all that glitters is gold. 
if the roots of the tree are bad, then the fruit's going to be bad. You can have the world's most beautiful home, but if the foundation is junk, then it's only a matter of time before that reveals itself. And this is what Jesus is getting at here this morning. And I think we, we can all relate, right? We know that what we show, what we say, is not always a 100% accurate reflection of what's going on on the inside. We're all in the, the business of image management, right? And that's why what we read last week, we're so quick to point out the speck in other people's eyes because we want to get the attention off our own junk, right? You see, outwardly, just like the plum, it's possible to appear different than we are on the inside. And in truth, some people are actually better than, at covering up than others. One of, the, one of the sayings when it comes to this topic is that the truth always comes out. But in reality, that's not always the case. A, a few years ago, I went through a season I refer to as my faith meltdown. And you can uh, imagine things went well because I'm, I'm here this morning. But I just had a lot of questions. I was doing a lot of wrestling but I bring this up to say that a big part of my journey uh, in coming back to faith was the Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias. Now, some of you may be familiar with Ravi. He was uh, a bit of a heavyweight Christian intellectual, really switched on, respected in academic circles. But I bring this, bring this up to say that while his, his books and his, his talks led me, you know, helped bring me back to, to faith, a year or two ago he passed away. And as he passed away, all of these sexual allegations started coming out. Allegations that would later be proved true. Just absolutely devastating. You see, in some ways, even, even though Ravi was discovered, it wasn't until after he died. Because it's possible to hide our fruit and to get away with it, right? At least in this world. But we're going to return to, to that thought later on. And, and while Ravi's story is a, a bit more of an extreme example... It's also the type of hypocrisy that we, we all most, uh, most often think of, right? The super conscious or obvious thing that the person who is the hypocrite is fully aware of what they're doing. They, they know that they're saying one thing and they know that they're doing another. Some more extreme examples might be the, the nice guy mayor of the town, right? He's all smiles, but let's say he's running a drug cartel or something crazy like that. Or the, the pastor of the church who's gambling the church's money. Most often when we think of hypocrisy, we view it as this, as this super conscious or obvious thing. But in reality, I think that's far less common than the type of hypocrisy we read about just last week. In verse 42, it says that they didn't even see the log in their own eye. They didn't even see the log in their own eye. You see, here Jesus reveals a, a type of hypocrisy possessing even greater levels of deception. Not only do they pull the wool over other people's eyes, but they deceive themselves. So to put that in the language of our text this morning, are we aware of the nature of our fruit, the condition of our foundation or the abundance of our heart? Or is it possible that we've deceived ourselves? The hypocrisy we read about in our text is the one who says one thing, right? They, they are, but they do another. So they hear the words of Jesus, they see what he's saying, but they don't, they don't marry that up with any action. Uh, we read in verse 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Or the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. 
We see this idea come up elsewhere in the Bible. In James 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So let's look in the mirror this morning. Is it possible that we have deceived our church, uh, ourselves church? I I really believe that as Jesus shares these words, he, he intends his listeners to do a bit of introspection to look beneath the surface and to evaluate what's what's there. So as we continue this morning, are we open to the possibility of our own self-deception? And and so what happens when we do look inside? A lot of the world tells us, right, that when we look inside, we'll we'll find the answers, we'll find the motivation that we need. And this type of thinking assumes that good dwells within the core of who we are. But in stark contrast to this, Jesus says it's not the solution we find when we look inside, but the issue. And of course, that's not what we all like to hear. That's not comfortable to hear. And so when we read a text like we are this morning, our natural reaction is to kind of check the Christian vital signs, right? How's our church attendance been? I've been showing up at house church. I read the Bible a couple times this week. Okay, I'm doing okay. But let's be real, man. Are Are we more like the plum than we're willing to admit. And sure, we can, we can cover it up, but let's honestly assess what is flowing through. What is the condition of our fruit, the foundation that we've set ourselves on? Another piece of the, the context of the sermon that we read through uh, this morning is this increasing tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. And of course, the, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day who, who went around parading their righteousness But in Matthew 23, we read what Jesus says to them. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So is it possible that we're more like the Pharisees than we're willing to admit? I was faced with such a question in my own heart a couple of, well, I guess it would be a couple of months ago now, but it was one of the, just to paint the picture, it was one of those wild weeks, right, where I'm just flat out and I'm behind on everything. And and so, and on this particular night, we'd made plans to, to go out to a friend's place for dinner. And so I'm sitting there and I've just got piles of work. I'm nowhere close to being done. I have all of these personal tasks that I need to get done. And then I also have a a lawn that I got to mow. And just to put it in perspective, this lawn is like, it takes probably like an hour and a half, two hours to mow, right? And and so anyway, just mowing the lawn is number one. It has to get done. And so anxiously leaving my my pile of work behind, I go out and I start the lawn mower. And I'm about halfway through and it just starts bucketing down with rain. Just, right, just terrible. So I I can't mow the lawn. And so the situation as it stands, and Taylor's at the door, she's saying, hey, we, we got to go. And so the situation as it stands is the clock has run out. There's no time left. I haven't accomplished any of my, my work work. I haven't begun to address the personal tasks that really need to get done, and I've got a half-mode lawn. And I, I just got mad, man. Like, I was a little anxious, and I just got mad. And, and so there were some bad thoughts in my mind. There were some bad thoughts in my, in my head. 
And I think even a few said that were probably drowned out by the sound of the rain and the lawnmower as I went in. So for, for one who professes to be a Christian, a bit of a whitewashed tomb, you might, moment, whitewashed tomb moment, you might say, but in reflection on that situation, my mind was actually drawn to this passage. We read that good fruit comes from good trees, that bad fruit comes from bad trees. In Luke 45, let me read this to you, actually. It says that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now maybe put in the same situation as me, you might have had more self-control. You wouldn't have verbally vomited out your frustration, right? But in your own lives, in your own situations, when you find yourself at the end of your rope, what, what's flowing beneath the surface, right? In your heart and in your head. You see, that, that's, what the, that's the evidence of the type of fruit that we're producing, the type of tree that we are, the foundation that we've set ourselves on. So, so beyond just not being hypocrites, why does Jesus address this at such length? It's no surprise that the reputation that the Western church has right, for being watered down the, the most recent stat I saw was that 70% of Americans claim Christianity, right? That's what the, the faith that they claim to. And I'm sure most of us in that room would, would probably think that that's far from reality. But this was also isn't a new sensation. We see this lukewarm language in the Bible, right? That the path has always been narrow, which leads to life. And the road's always been wide, which leads to death and destruction. So perhaps Jesus' heart, as he's, as he's sharing these things is that he wants to remove all false pretense. He wants to, to bring to light the ignorance of self-perceived discipleship. People who, who think they're following him, but they're not. People who say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says. And in Matthew 7, there's a, a very similar sermon. It has a lot of the same parables, including the two parables that we're reading this morning, a tree and its fruit and the house on the, on the rock. But Uniquely in Matthew's sermon, there's an additional parable that we find. It says this, it says, and this, this parable, uh, this saying is, is nestled in between our two parables in, in Luke's version. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, for the Lord to, to reveal and to bring these things up is actually to give us a chance to identify and repent of our hypocrisy. But how devastating it's going to be for those of us who go our whole life playing the act only to be found out by an all-knowing God. So as we continue this morning, let's let these words echo. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now my goal this morning isn't just to expand upon the text so that we can understand that we're all varying degrees of hypocrites. One, because I think we already know that to some level, but to, while identifying hypocrisy is a start, it's not altogether helpful by itself. 
You may have heard the term before, the why behind the what. The why behind the what. And what this is trying to say is that usually for the things we see on the surface, there are kind of these, these things that are uh, making, there, there are things that are making, there are things beneath the surface that are making things happen above the surface, right? So the hypocrisy we see played in our, out in our lives is actually evidence of a deeper heart condition. And so the question becomes, and we see this notion scattered all throughout our text, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Or good fruit growing from good trees, bad fruit growing from bad trees, the foundation of the house. Growing up, my mom would always get on me about not just pulling out the heads of the weeds, but taking the extra effort to dig deeper and pull out the, the roots of the weeds, right? And, and she was doing that because she didn't want the, the, the weeds to grow back. But so it is with our topic. In order to effectively deal with our hypocrisy, we need to identify and uproot the motivations from which they stem. So the question becomes, what are the motivations of our hearts? The things that are driving our hypocrisy. How is it that we are people that say one thing, but do another? How is it that we can claim one thing and do another? And Jesus asks us uh, a very similar question in verse 46. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why? So let's sit on that question. Let's ponder that this morning. Why is it that we call him Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says? And perhaps we could start here. Why are you here this morning? It's a Sunday. It's the middle of summer. Admittedly, it's not a great day, but maybe you could be in bed. You could be out at brunch. I don't know what you're into, but you didn't have to be here, right? Unless, of course, you got dragged along. But <laughs> Maybe you came of your own accord. So, so why are you here this morning? For some of us, the fear of hell is this massive motivator, right? So perhaps you're here this morning, and you have very little joy in your heart for the words that we're reading. You have very little love in your heart for Jesus. Maybe you're not even sure if any of this is real. You have very little faith that you were just paralyzed with the thought, what if I'm wrong? Or to go to the other end of the spectrum, maybe you're here to, to rub the lamp this morning, right? You're, you're here to please God because you want to be blessed. You want your life to be easier. Or maybe your motivation doesn't have anything to do with God. And you're here this morning simply to, to keep up appearances, to be seen at church, right? And in truth, we could go on all morning. Control, security, happiness, there, there is no end to the false foundations that might motivate us to claim the name tag of Christ follower. And maybe as we've, as we've been discussing this morning, this is so built in. We've so been trying to satiate our, our insatiable hearts that we've actually grown ignorant to this, this motivation that has been fueling us, Right? Perhaps we put so much effort into trying to fool God and to fool others that we've fooled ourselves. And this is exactly the bubble that Jesus wants to burst this morning. He wants to open all of our eyes to see this. And again, for him to do this on this side of heaven is an act of love and an act of grace. For if not, we would have no chance to repent and to come into true fellowship with him. And again, as we've been discussing, that has eternal ramifications. So how do we unearth the motivations in order to lay a proper foundation? In verse 48, we read that the one who Jesus approves had to dig deep. 
But with all that we've been reading this morning, I don't imagine Jesus was telling us to dig deep within ourselves. I think more so he was saying to dig deep, to to throw away the the sin that so easily entangles, right? And in truth, there's lots to be dug up before we can find and lay upon the bedrock. And and we do this by through through prayer, through reading the word, through the power of his spirit, through being in community with other believers. And as we begin to dig up, we find the things that, that blind and destroy us. And that there's so much we might find on this journey. Preconceptions against following Jesus, prejudices we might have, church traditions that trump a love for, for God's word, rebellion, callousness, unbelief. Again, we could go on all this all, all morning. But what are we finding as we dig deep? Do we know what's there to be removed? And if we do, how do we actually feel about removing it, right? Sometimes we know what's there, but we don't want to move it. It can be uncomfortable, or we just enjoy the sin. To return to the earlier story I shared of the Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, if I was to give you a situation where you could be even better than Ravi, you, you you could do whatever you wanted and no one would ever find out, is that a deal that you would take? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. That the Lord will not be mocked. We may deceive this world, but let us not be fooled. We will not deceive Him. He is the God who sees the heart and the secret things. There's a story I heard not too long ago that I think really helps to illustrate and helps us to visualize this reality that awaits us a day where all foundations other than Jesus will crumble. And the story is about a man who was going out to a field to cut down all of the trees in this field. And so he gets out there, he's got his axe, and he's at the base of the first tree, ready to cut it down. And and he looks up, and he sees this bird beginning to make its nest in the tree. But the man knows that he's about to cut down the tree, and so wanting to help the bird, he shakes it, right? And and this bird moves from this tree to the next, and he begins to make his nest there. But the the man knows that this tree shares the same fate. And, And so he goes across to that tree, and he shakes the tree. And this happens a few more times. The man shakes the tree, the bird moves until finally the bird leaves all of the trees and flies up to the high-laid rock. You see, in this story, God is the man and we are the bird. And what the man understood that the bird didn't understand is that all of the trees were coming down. And so it is with us and the foundations of this world. There is a day coming where only Jesus will stand. And so we have a choice to make, right? Right? Will we build our lives upon the worldly foundations? And they may seem secure. They may seem pleasant. Or will we choose to trust trust the words that we read this morning and build our lives upon Jesus, the only one who will stand in the end? Because the, the, the ruin of the other houses will be great. So let's check our motivations and false foundations this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and not do what I say. And so now we arrive at this place where perhaps we have identified and admitted some of our hypocrisy, begun poking away at the motivations from which they stem, but, but now what? As I said at the beginning, I want to pose Jesus as the solution to this. And so the question becomes, how do we build godly motivations? However, I also don't want to assume that that's a desire, a pursuit that everyone in this room has. And so there's a second question to ask. Why Jesus? What makes him the only sole foundation, right? So how do we build godly desires? And two, why Jesus? Simply put, there's not enough time to to answer these in full, so we're just going to be starting the journey this morning. But but in some ways, I think just starting the journey is really fitting. If we remember the context of the sermon, right? Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's just named the twelve disciples, and as he's taken them on this journey, do you see the hypocrisy in your heart? Do you see the motivations that you have? And he didn't necessarily give them full answers. He was just asking for obedience as they began the journey. And so it is with us this morning. So all of that said, I, uh, I just want to start with two simple uh, reasons why we should listen to Jesus, why we should consider him our foundation and motivation. Fear and love. Firstly, fear. Truth is truth. Either Jesus really should be lifted as the most important voice in our life, or it's a hoax. Like All of this is a hoax. Those are the two, and we don't have to feel bad painting that picture. That is the situation. We read that there is a day coming where all of the foundations other than Jesus will come down and the ruin of those houses will be great. And so we have a choice to make. Will we call Jesus Lord, Lord, or not? We talked very briefly before about John the Baptist, right? This voice crying out in the wilderness. And before Jesus came, he was laying, he was preparing the way, right? And we, we read that he said this about Jesus. He said, and this is talking about Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The world says, choose your own truth. So be it. But know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And secondly, love. Simply put, there is no one in this world who will love you more than Jesus. While we were still enemies to a holy God, he came down right in love and died in our place so that we could have a relationship with him. That's, that's the good news. But I know even as I said that, that a lot of us in this room are pretty unmoved by that, right? We hear it so often and so we grow callous hearing something that should wreck us. But we've been talking about hypocrisy this morning and why does such a thing exist? Because we want to be loved, right? We want to be accepted and approved. But we know that the heart is deceitful above all else. So why Jesus? Because he is the only one. He is the only one who can love you and me the way that we need to be loved. He is the only one who can give our fragile hearts the security that they yearn for every waking moment. He is the only one. He is the only one. 
Some of you may be familiar with Sam Elberry. He's a, a British speaker and apologist. He spent some time at Cedarville, but he said something once that has always stuck with me. He said that it's impossible for people to understand, to agree with, and to apply biblical ethics without first accepting the gospel. The gospel is the good news, right? And what he's saying is that without first knowing the love of Jesus, without understanding that in our hearts, there's no way that we're going to agree with or have the desire to apply what Jesus is saying. It's the love and the relationship that allows us to see what he's saying and to really desire to apply it. And isn't that the issue in our text this morning? We read about people who hear what Jesus has said, but they don't apply it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? We read in verse 45 that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But as we've gone on this journey this morning, as we've allowed and just reflected on the words that Jesus has shared, what is it that we've found? Have we done what the Pharisees did and found our own self-righteousness? Or if we're honest, have we seen the hypocrisy? Romans 3.10 through 11 tells us that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. And I know that I, for one, struggle to admit that. But that's our position. Evil is in us, right? And, and, and until we can understand, recognize, and admit that, that's when the words, but God, become oh so sweet. Because God, he's the only one without hypocrisy. He's the only one with pure motivations all of the time. He is the good news for those who confess this evil state. And what is the mission that Jesus has come, come for, right? Why did he come? In chapter 4, he actually tells us, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Don't we see... Jesus came, right? He came to give good news to the poor. We are the poor. He came to release the captives. We are the captives. He came to give sight to the blind. We are the blind. The first step in order to receiving all of this is to put our hand up and to say, I'm a hypocrite. I have unpure motivations, right? My roots can bear no good fruit without you, Jesus. I am built on the sand. That's my foundation. And without you, Lord, I'm doomed to crumble. I need you to be my rock. So do we see our need for Jesus and his gospel? Even as a church, this is where we need to begin, looking to Jesus and what he has done for us. The gospel is the good news. It's the way we came to faith, right? And so it is the way we need to continue in faith. The way in is the way on. And it's meditating on this, meditating on who he is and what he's done for us. This is where new life comes, where sight comes, where freedom flows, where we begin to produce good fruit, where our foundation becomes secure. 
Romans 2.4 shares that his kindness should lead us to repentance. It is his goodness and grace, not our own, that leads us to repent of our hypocrisy and to exchange our motivations. Truly slowing down and looking at what Jesus has done, meditating on it. That's how we might grow in not just saying, Lord, Lord, but doing what he says out of love. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we admit it's just sometimes hard to hear whether it just is, is too point and too sharp and we, we don't want to engage it, or maybe we fear, feel callous hearing it, Lord. But we admit, Lord, we, we are hypocrites. We admit that we, we are quick to bend our motivations away from you. But I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love. I thank you that even in the moments when we don't realize it, Lord, you are what we are yearning for. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us, Lord. I pray that we'd lean into the disciplines of just just prayer with you, reading the word, but also just enjoying fellowship with other believers, Lord. And Lord, we just give you permission to come in, Father, and work away at our hearts, Lord. It's hard to admit, Lord, but we, we want you to come in. We thank you that you're a God of love, Lord. We thank you for the act of love and, and grace that you give us, uh, not just in dying on the cross, Lord, but in speaking these words, giving us the chance, Lord, to move from the wide road onto the narrow, Lord, to have a chance to repent of our hypocrisy and to come into relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity we have to enjoy your gospel without fear of persecution this morning. I just pray that even as we close out here and just sing a few more songs, Lord, would our hearts be bent towards glorifying you. This is your house, Lord. We love you. Amen.